All right, what would need to happen in order for you to shout for joy? I know that sounds maybe a little bit over-exuberant for us laid back, uh, always want to try to keep your emotions in check. Canadians, there might be occasions when, uh, in our lives when we might maybe do a, a bit of a fist pump or a high five, but maybe even that's only in our own minds or when we make sure to check that no one else is looking. But I would venture to guess that there might actually be times when you do shout for joy. For some of you, I bet you shout for joy when the Oilers score an overtime goal. Children might shout for joy when they are, if they're involved in sports, when they score a goal or when they get a touchdown or, or maybe when they land a jump. Teens might shout for joy when they pass their driver's test or when they get a good mark on an exam, or especially when they graduate. Adults might shout for joy when the vacation starts, or when their tax return arrives in the mail, if it's a good one. You might have a different kind of shout, I guess, if it's, uh, if it's the opposite. Or when they finally pay off that mortgage or debt, or when they retire. All of those things, in a moment of exuberance or in a moment of excitement over something great, can make us, make us all burst out in a shout for joy. But for Christians, we need not only have moments of exuberance. We can have an enduring and a lasting kind of gladness that results in a constant, unending shout for joy. Psalm 32 ends this way, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's a great ending to a beautiful song written by David and preserved by God for us in his word. He says, shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart, all you righteous ones. So what's behind this call to be glad and to rejoice and to shout for joy? What was this song about that made the writer have a crescendo up to this big finish? Well, let me read it for us. And we'll see what he's all excited about. Psalm 32. Right around your middle of your Bibles. A big collection of Psalms, 150 of them, and we're in the 32nd Psalm. A maskil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct and teach you, instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, 
without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I had to shake my head once again at one of the big news stories this week. I try not to pay, pay attention to the news very much, but sometimes it just ends up on my computer screen when I'm looking for something else. And this week, O.J. Simpson popped up again. I had already thought his moment of fame had passed, but there he was, back on the screen again. I don't want to rehash his story too much, but Simpson became famous first as a star college and NFL football player, and then, I guess, famous or infamous as an actor, but most famously for a televised car chase back in the 90s, real-life car chase, followed by a long, drawn-out, and also televised court case where he was charged and given a not-guilty verdict for murder, mostly because of a number of bizarre technicalities that could only be written in Hollywood. Well, it ends up that some years later, he did end up guilty for another crime, and he was sentenced to 9 to 33 years in prison. And he showed up again this week because the nine years was over, because he was granted parole after serving his term for nine years, and he will eventually be released. And so, I should let you know that we may not have heard the end of him yet. But I bring all of that up because Simpson was given leniency for a crime that he committed. And the story I read said he reacted with a smile and said a simple thank you. So maybe not a shout for joy, but a reaction of relief and uh, gratefulness nonetheless for being released from the consequence and the sentence of a crime, of his crime. Well, that reaction, that feeling of relief, that feeling of gratefulness, that that feeling of joy of being released from a sentence we rightly deserve should be the experience of every Christian. It should cause us to shout for joy. It should cause us to be glad in the Lord. That's what this psalm is all about. It's written by David who shares his experience of having been forgiven. But he doesn't just share his experience. He wants future readers to learn from that experience. He wants to share his experience, his trials, his obstinance in some ways, and his joy with others. He wants his readers to be able to share his joy and to be quick to repent and to acknowledge their need, our need for forgiveness. And so this psalm, this song, this poem starts with a general introduction on the subject of forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. And so we have here a simple description, really, of someone who's been blessed, someone who's happy, someone who has been granted the best reason to be able to shout for joy. Did you know that? A happy person is a forgiven person. And the reverse would also have to be true, that unforgiveness makes a miserable person. 
And we'll see that what makes someone really miserable is unconfessed sin that has not been dealt with. Let's look at the blessings first. David just lays them right out here in four parallel lines that all mean the same thing from slightly different angles. The point is that when God forgives sin, it produces a person who is happy. To be blessed means to be happy. I am a blessed person. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed woman. Have you ever said those words? There are times when those words come out of our mouths, right? Times when we take a step back and we think about our life and we realize that we're in a good place or a good situation in life. I'm a blessed man. But has that feeling ever come over us because we've been forgiven? When we stand back and think of how God has acted to remove the guilt that's associated with our sin, we really should say that more often. I am blessed. I am forgiven. Just look at those lines there. Blessed, first of all, is the one whose transgression is forgiven. To transgress means that you have gone over a boundary. You've gone to a place that you shouldn't have gone. You've crossed over into a boundary that God has set for us. In your mind or in your actions, a place that God has prohibited. But that transgression here, it says, has been forgiven. And so there is blessing in that forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. A transgression is, a, is going over a boundary. To sin is to fall short of God's mark, of God's standard. It's not keeping God's law. These sins need to be covered. And so this is a beautiful picture, how God is able and willing to deal with sin. Sin can be covered. In the Old Testament, this brings images of sacrifice that was brought to the mercy seat and covered by the blood of an animal. God can cover that sin. He can blot it out. And that in itself is an amazing blessing. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. We are all sinners. We have all committed iniquity. We have done something that is unjust. And because of that, we are guilty. And those unlawful acts are counted against us. They must be, because God is holy and God cannot stand in the presence of sin. Yet there is a way that God counts iniquity where he can give us what we deserve and not give us what we, and give us something that we don't deserve. The sin is dealt with. And it's not counted against us. You should be starting to say, how can God do that? And that's the right question. And we'll get to that later. But you should start to feel why it is that David writes about this in terms of feeling blessed by God's forgiveness. It's a blessing because it's something that God does out of his kindness. It's a blessing because it's something that God does out of his mercy, out of his love. By rights, He doesn't need to bless us this way, yet he does. It ends with then, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. Deceit, another word for that might be fraud or or might be dishonesty. So whether you believe this about yourself or not, those things are part of our nature. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, desperately wicked. 
But through God's forgiveness, he can annihilate our wickedness and make us into people of integrity. He can impute his righteousness to us. And when God does that work in my heart, I can say I am truly a blessed man. Can you say that? Well, maybe all I've said so far or all that David has written has brought you to the point where you're not quite there yet. Well, let's let David tell us how he came to be able to say that from his own experience. In verse 3, he starts with his own testimony about how he came to see himself as blessed and why he could be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy. David, even though in one place in the Bible he's called a man after God's own heart, was a sinner just like any other person. And he committed one very awful, no good, terrible sin. Well, actually a series of appalling sins where he broke God's commands one after another. Namely, committing adultery and then following that up with a conspiracy to murder. And it's that particular series of sin for which he would be remembered. Even though he would have committed many other sins and he would have done many other good things over the course of his life. But here's how he's described in 1 Kings 15, verse 5, in a very general kind of way. It says in 1 Kings 15, verse 5, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. He was generally a good and upright man, except for that one big blot on his image. And just a very brief synopsis of that, he committed adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, while Uriah was away in battle. And if that wasn't bad enough, he conspired to arrange that Uriah was uh, placed in the front of the battle lines where David actually knew that he would be killed, and which is exactly what happened. To make it even worse, David tried to Cover, cover it all up. You think of this, this almost sounds like a modern day O.J. Simpson, right? He didn't confess his sin for some time until God sent a prophet named Nathan. Here's where things go different. Until God sent a prophet named Nathan to bring David to a point of contrition and repentance. But it's this incident that David is likely reflecting on here in chapter 32. We don't know the exact, doesn't tell us exactly what Sin, he's, he's talking about here, but it's very likely that this is the one. He wrote another psalm, Psalm 51, probably right after it happened. But Psalm 32 is his reflection back sometime later as he wants to share his experience in order to teach other people not to go about it like he did. In Psalm 51, verse 13, he wrote that the joy of his salvation, uh, that once the joy of his salvation returns, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways and they will return to you. He wanted to use his experience as a teaching moment. And Psalm 32 is likely David teaching transgressors the way of God from his own experience. He wants other people to experience God and his kindness and his mercy. And he doesn't want other people to do what he did in trying to cover up sin. So look at Psalm 32 now again, verse 3. Here's what happened when David kept his sin hidden when he tried to cover it up, when he did not acknowledge his sin. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was 
heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. For David, keeping his sin hidden was debilitating. It affected him in every way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It was harmful to his health. His bones wasted away. Bones are the one part of the body that is the last to decompose. But for David, his anguish was not just skin deep. It penetrated into his bones. He says his bones were wasting away. When we talk about wasting away, uh, when we eat, right? Talk about if we, if we don't eat, we start to waste away. As, as long as David kept his sin silent, he couldn't even eat. And so David was affected physically. But also emotionally. He was groaning all day long. His sin, he couldn't eat, but his sin was eating him up. It was gnawing at him. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He may have been silent about his sin, but his sin was not silent to his conscience. He couldn't get it out of his mind. And he was almost in a state of depression here. And so we need to know that depression, while it's not always caused by unconfessed sin, but unconfessed sin can usually lead to a depressed state of mind. If something is gnawing at you, if something is causing you to groan all day, you might want to take a quick inventory of your life and and, and ask yourself if there's any unconfessed sin in your life. But it also affected David spiritually. Remember, he's talking to God here, and he says, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This is the most serious effect about keeping silent, of keeping silent about our sin. It's the worst thing, but it's also the best part of it, isn't it? When we come out on the other end, we can be thankful that God did not leave us alone. That his hand was heavy upon us, that the weight of his Loving discipline presses down on us until we come to that point where we confess our sin, until we re-enter into a right relationship with God. When we're not right with God, it affects our sleep. Look at day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And it affects our strength. David says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You felt that way, haven't you? When, you? when it's hot for a few days, it saps your energy. It dries up your strength. And that's how David felt when he kept silent about his sin. William Plummer writes, His concealment did not bring relief. It says, Sins never grow out of date. There's no statute of limitations for crimes either at God's bar or at the bar of conscience. God is not silent Even though we may be silent about our sin, God is not silent and our conscience is not silent. The heavy hand of God was upon him. This is God's discipline and he disciplines those he loves. And he wants us to acknowledge and admit our sin. The reason I read those verses from Matthew 11 just a little bit earlier is that when we are forgiven, we can come to Jesus and experience the exact opposite. Rather than the heavy hand of God upon us, Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And a little bit later he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wouldn't you rather experience the light, gentle burden that comes with forgiveness through Jesus rather than experience the heavy hand of God because of unconfessed sin? 
Well, look at how things changed dramatically and, and immediately for David in verse 5. Once, once David thought to confess his sin, once he was brought to that place where God's heavy hand made him, say, made him want to acknowledge his sin. I acknowledge my sin to you, he says, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said to myself, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's immediate. All those things that were gnawing at David, most importantly the heavy hand of God upon him, finally brought him to a point where he admitted his sin, and notice he was admitting his sin to God. There's nothing here about... There's nothing here even about forgiving others. First and foremost, we need forgiveness from God, and there certainly isn't anything here about forgiving ourselves. We need to ask forgiveness from God. And I love how the forgiveness is immediate here. He confessed, God forgave. I should bring to mind the greatness of God, how benevolent He is, how kind He is. For us who are Christians, even though we are His children, even though we have been converted, we do sin. We, we miss the mark. We do cross God's boundaries. But God is willing to forgive. He is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Same three words used in Exodus 34 that are used here in Psalm 32. Or 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, he is, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But also, if you're here today and you would not consider yourself a Christian and you are still dead in your transgressions and sins, if you have not yet received eternal life, if your sin still separates you from God, if you have not acknowledged that you are a sinner and in need of forgiveness, I wonder if you see that this is good news for you as well. David uses the same words here that he uses back in verse 1, transgression, sin, iniquity. But he also talks about being forgiven and covered. Back there in verse 1, I asked how God could just up and do this. Well, the answer for the how is through Jesus Christ. The one who is not named, but is obviously foreshadowed in these words of David. If you acknowledge your sin... If you repent and you beg God to save you, then you will be forgiven. Your sin, though, doesn't just disappear. It still needs to be dealt with. It's an offense against holy God. But the good news is that Jesus took care of that sin for you. He took your sin and he put it on himself and he carried it to the cross on your behalf. And your sins are then covered once and for all, never to be brought up again. Covered by his blood that he shed on that cross for you. And so if you trust in Jesus' sacrifice for you, your sins will be forgiven and you will be saved. He will forgive the iniquity of your sin, your sin will be forgiven, and the righteousness of Christ will be counted to you instead of your sin. And you can be glad in the Lord for his unspeakable blessing of forgiveness. That's grace. Friends, what David experienced can be your experience as well. When you acknowledge your sin to the Lord, forgiveness comes from the Lord. You acknowledge your sin to Him, and forgiveness comes down from Him. And whether you're, a confessing, uh, whether you're confessing sin as a believer or as an unbeliever, confession always brings relief. 
Confession always restores our relationship with God, and it removes then his heavy hand of discipline and discomfort from us. And confession always produces gladness in the Lord and rejoicing and shouts for joy for those who are upright in heart. Verses 6 and 7, David turns from his experience of God's forgiveness to a prayer now that people would join David in confessing their sins. Here's what I did, here's what I learned, come and join me. He wants other people to experience that relief and that restoration and that rejoicing that he's just experienced, owing to God's forgiveness. And he does not want people to repeat his mistake. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And so, just a quick footnote, warning there, this says that God's offer of forgiveness does have an expiry date. His offer will not stand forever. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. But when David experienced God's forgiveness, it came with a great sense of peace and protection. It goes on and says, Surely in the rush of great waters. And that's just another way of saying troubles and adversities. When they threaten to wash over us, here's the promise. They, those waters, shall not reach him. Verse 7, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And so a person, David is saying, a person who admits his sin, he's learning from his own experience here, he's learned from his own experience, a person that acknowledges their sin, a person who has received forgiveness, not only has his sin covered, but he is preserved and protected by God. Verses 8 and 9 are interesting. It seems like the voice changes here to God's voice. David writes as he hears God's voice of instruction. These are God's words added to David's words to really amp up the note of authority here. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And just stop right there for a minute. This is so comforting for us who are believers. If you are a believer, once God looks to you and once you look to Christ for forgiveness, you can know for sure that God never takes his eyes off of you. He's always watching over you. Now, it might be intimidating to some. It might be comforting. Yes, he's watching over to you to protect you. But in the context of this psalm, God always has his eye upon you just in case you go sideways and you slide back into sin. We should be thankful that God does not take his eye off of us and let, let us drift too far into sin. His eye of conviction, which comes through the person of the Holy Spirit, will start to descend upon us again. His eye of discipline will help us recognize that we've veered off the narrow way and that we need to return to him and we need to confess our sin. Love verse 9. David records God. He's still in God's voice here. records God as saying, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit or a bridle, or it will not stay near you. I wonder if David thought of himself as that stubborn mule during those weeks and months when he kept silent and when he refused to acknowledge his sin. We need to admit that we can be like that. We too often can become mule-like when it comes to our sin. Stubborn, prideful, try to convince ourselves it's not that bad and come up with a million excuses for our sin. We, uh, we get to the point where we're unwilling to admit that we've even done something wrong. Admit that we've sinned against holy God by our sin. We sometimes might think we, 
that we can even get away with it. If we just keep silence, silent long enough, maybe it'll just go away. It's a delusion. Just think of myself in that sense. I'm, I'm so dense sometimes. We are mule-like. And so we need a bit and we need a bridle to, to, to redirect us. We need the heavy hand of God to press down on us again and give us some much-needed understanding of our sin and, and of our desperate need for God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, God is that bit and bridle for us. He just yanks on that bit and redirects us toward himself and teaches us in the way we should go. He leads us onto paths of forgiveness, that path where true blessing abounds. And that's how David concludes. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. The unregenerate, those who suppress the truth, those who have no understanding of God, do not experience this greatest of blessings, the joys of forgiveness. They have many sorrows. But those who have experienced God's forgiveness have many joys, multiplied joys. Look again at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. God sets his love on us, and that love surrounds us. Because of the shed blood of Christ, our sins are forgiven, and they are satisfied through the death and resurrection of Christ. And for our remaining sin, because we still have sin that remains, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us, to restore unto us the joy of our salvation. That peace and that joy of being in a right relationship with God will beat any kind of earthly reason to shout for joy. Experiencing the blessing of being forgiven is an everlasting gladness and blessedness, an everlasting joy. Why? Because it's something that we don't deserve. Because it's something that we can't earn. Because it's something that comes down from us, to us from the steadfast love of God alone. Listen to Ephesians 2 in closing. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you know that mercy, if you have experienced that great grace, that undeserving love, you will also be able to say, say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And now we can be glad in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we admit, we confess, we acknowledge today that we are sometimes, we are often dull and slow of understanding. And so we are thankful today that you have shown us the way of wisdom, that you have revealed to us the way of blessedness, the way in which we can have a right standing with you. Thank you for showing us and for reminding us that the road to blessing, which we all want, starts with confession, which then leads to forgiveness. And so we pray, first of all, that you would 
as the Lord taught us to pray, that you would not lead us into temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil. But when we do fail, when we do fall short, Father, we pray that you would help us to quickly acknowledge our sin. Help us not to stay in that place in in the folly of hiding our sins or being silent about our sins. Help us to seek the forgiveness that you are so eager to supply for us. We thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we can find forgiveness once and for all. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, who also leads us into all truth. And we thank you, our God, for your mercy and for your grace. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And now, may the peace of God, peace that passes all understanding, be with you all. Amen.